Good morning. Really glad you're here this morning. We are nearing the end of our message series we've called Hometowns. And what we're doing in this series is we're going over from the scripture what God wants in a church community, his design, why he's created it that way. And we've looked at how we have a built-in need to know and be known by a larger group of people than just our family, um, to have a sense of belonging, to be able to say, these are my people, I'm, I'm part of this larger group, and this is what we're trying to do. We're working together with this group for good, and we're supporting each other along the way. The Lord's designed the church body to meet this need and more, uh, much more really. After we look back first first week of the series, we we traced back the roots of this desire to be connected to a community of people to the very beginning of time. God made man and woman, uh, and he he blessed them. Scripture says, and he told them to be fruitful and multiply. So they started multiplying and filling the earth, and people gathered in tribes and cities as they went out and spread across the earth. Today, what we're going to look at is one of the realities that we face as any group of people try to coexist. By the way, that's an uninspiring goal, isn't it? I just want to coexist. (laughs) That's really uninspiring. We really, we want much more than that. We don't want to just live in the same vicinity. We really want to enjoy one another. We want to connect. We want to belong. We want to work towards something significant together. This is what God's made us to do. But there are problems that crop up in any group, in a family, in a work group, uh, in, in a church body. And so... We're going to dig into this today, some of the fault lines that are created and how to deal with them. Um, Whenever we find ourselves in a group, it's easy to end up in a feud. Uh, This is the way it is. Our history in the U.S. includes famous feuds. One of those feuds is the Graham-Tewksbury feud from Arizona. These guys were from Arizona it's referred to as the Pleasant Valley War. Isn't there something wrong with that? Those two, those three words put together, Pleasant Valley and War. Doesn't seem to go together. Doesn't really flow, but this is what it's referred to. Here's a marker that commemorates the feud. The name was changed of the city from Pleasant Valley to Young after one of the, the citizens of the city and upstanding, probably needed just to, to not remember what had happened there before. But both families, Grams and the Tewksburys, they were livestock ranchers who worked together uh, to steal cattle from another rancher. That's a recipe for disaster right there. <laughs> you know, they were working together to get, uh, you know, this is not going to work. Predictably, the feud was launched over a disagreement related to stolen cattle and overgrazing of sheep. And the feud ended when Tom Graham Jr. died, who was the last of his clan. Best known U.S. family feud was between the Hatfields of West Virginia and the McCoys 
of Kentucky, and it began in 1865. Uh, here's a video from the History Channel. It's, it's a little hard to see on these screens. We're working on the screen thing. Um, but here's a, a, a video from the History Channel where different family members are describing how it all got started. So you, you may have to listen more than you're able to see. Hatfield and McCoy feud started with Roseanne and John C. Hatfield, and it bloomed from there. The story I think would be the most true is what my dad always told me, was after the Civil War, Dev Lance and Randall, there was a little bit of hard feelings in between the both of them as Confederates. Dev Lance gathered up all the guns, run off, left Randall. Randall ended up in prison for three years, and that's when it started. Then uh, when he came back, Randall's brother got killed. The McCoys always know that Dave Wentz killed him, and they never could prove it. Well, you know, some say it's over a hog. I've always been taught it's over, you know, a woman. Well, the true part about it, Roseanne got pregnant out of wedlock to John C. Hadfield. Back then, it was a cardinal sin. A lot of people say it goes back to timber rights and property rights. Nobody really knows how it started. It's just two stubborn men that had a disagreement and dragged their whole families down. Now, that's, that's interesting, isn't it? Everybody's describing where it all started, and they all have a different story. This is what happens in feuds. <laughs> no, nobody really remembers what actually happened from an objective viewpoint. So they're describing it. Uh, these, these clans, you'll, you'll be happy to know, they eventually resolve their differences. And uh, since 2000, they hold the Hatfield and McCoy Reunion Festival. <laughs> so they, they worked it all out. They actually made an appearance on Family Feud, the old one. <laughs> I remember that. I remember my mom loved game shows. So we watched the Hatfields and McCoys on Family Feud. And that was a literal Family Feud that got resolved. When people are embroiled in a feud, they pour energy and resources into counterproductive action that derails efforts to do good. Think about the hatred, hatred and bitterness that was bred in these clans, these four clans. If you're plotting revenge, you aren't plotting good. And you're wasting a tremendous amount of resources on these things. Church's enemy, Satan, he knows this. He knows how we're wired as people, what's in us. And so he sows discord in churches. He intentionally tries to divide. He tries to create fault lines that are going to divide people. You may be surprised to know that these kinds of feuds exist in churches. Here's a blog post from TomRainer.com titled 25 Silly Things Church Members Fight Over. Uh, some, some low lights. 45-minute heated argument over the type of filing cabinet to purchase. Black or brown, two, three, or four drawers. My wife's church growing up had a big fight over the color of the carpet they were going to put in. It was a Baptist church. Baptist churches vote on things. So everybody at the business meeting was voting on the color, and a fight breaks out. This is what happens. Everybody has a different opinion, a different viewpoint. Uh, another 
silly argument, a petition to have all staff members clean shaven. Now, I really think that's silly, personally. And then another one was a fight over which picture of Jesus to put in the foyer. And the question is, would Jesus really want a picture? And for sure, he wouldn't want us to fight over it. (laughs) You know, which one goes up? Come on, we lose. What happens is we get embroiled in the argument, the fight, the feud, and we lose sight of the big picture. The church, we have a great purpose. We, we have the most significant assignment that's going on in the face of the earth to stir people to glorify, love, and know God. To love people, the people that God's made. To have an environment that draws people to himself, to God himself. This is our assignment. This is incredibly significant. And so to argue and fight and wrestle over petty things is not right. In fact, God makes church unity a high priority, so our mission is unhindered. Some of our staff met with Darrell Lackey the other day. He's the director of our association of churches, well over 200 churches. I think it's north of 250 churches. So here's a man who relates to all many, many pastors and helps them resolve problems, face challenges, deal with things in in the churches. And he said that when you peel back the layers of why churches struggle and fall apart, there are always relational issues at the core and they grow, these problems grow out of unresolved offenses. This is the source. This is a man who has a lot of experience with this. Paul started a bunch of churches throughout the Roman Empire in the first century. And then he would train and lead and uh, continue to help the leaders of those churches. And so in this message, what we're going to look at is what God led him to say about unity. So we're going to trace what he says in a few places, several books that he wrote. He wrote... Two-thirds of the New Testament, uh, God used him because of his background, his gifting, his, the way he was put together. Uh, God, God used him to write really most of the New Testament. And so we're going to trace what he says about unity. Here are some instructions to the church at Philippi and its leaders. Philippians 4, 2, and 3. I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you always, also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Now, Yudia and Syntyche, they're in a feud. If it wasn't a feud, uh, wasn't an ongoing conflict, Paul wouldn't have bothered to write this to them because by the time the letter arrived, the, the argument the disagreement would likely be over. So it, this was an ongoing problem. And they're told specifically to agree in the Lord. And the New Testament was originally written in Greek, and so if you dig into the Greek phrases and, and what it says in, in the original language, there's a bunch of insight. This phrase, to agree in the Lord, means this. 
It means to exercise our mind to see things from the Lord's perspective. That's what it means to agree. In other words, we can't just let our mind go when we have a disagreement, when offense is made. We have to work in our mind to arrive at the same conclusion the Lord would arrive at. We need to learn to see things from his perspective. These ladies, Paul's saying, stop being petty. There are so much bigger things to give your lives to, like the gospel. They worked alongside Paul in spreading the gospel. And this is so much grander than the petty argument you find yourself in at the present time. Here's another command from Paul. To another church he started that was divided. There were divisions. I appeal to you, brothers. This is 1 Corinthians 1, 10. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. The word agree in this passage is a different word than in Philippians. Often in the Greek, there will be one English word, and there will be several Greek words. This one reason I think God chose Greek to be the language of the New Testament. It's such a rich language. So this word agree means literally to say the same thing, to speak the same thing. Now, if we're going to say the same thing from the heart, That's going to require a lot of communication, isn't it? I mean, we're going to have to really talk this out. This is going to take some time. We can't just keep things bottled up inside or pull away and isolate ourselves and continue to think our own thoughts. If we want this kind of community and unity in it, we have to communicate. We have to talk it out. We have to walk through it. Romans twelve sixteen, another passage that Paul wrote, says, Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. Never. <laughs> harmony in this verse, same root word we saw in Philippians 4. It means to have the same mind. To agree. To exercise our mind to gain God's perspective. To try to see what's going on from his vantage point. Here in Romans, Paul shows us how to arrive at harmony. Don't be haughty. Don't be conceited. Pride divides. But humility is what is required to repair relationships. This is what you need. You just have to keep choosing humility over and over and over again which is showing deference to the other person and allowing them uh, to be heard. Unity is extremely important in the church body. We, We must work toward it with everything we have. When the church is feuding, God is dishonored by its ugliness. Energy and resources are wasted on the fight versus the good of the mission creates a negative atmosphere, and when new folks come around, they don't want to join in. They want to run for the hills. 
And the church exists to keep including new folks in the hometown all the time, in our town, in our city here, in our little hometown of Church in the Valley. This is why we exist. We're going to talk more about that next week. The church unravels over time when disagreements aren't solved, aren't resolved. Because people leave and they don't come back. Our loyalty to God and His church should motivate us to do whatever we're able to do to protect the unity of the church. As we talk about unity in the church and the, the body that God's put together, it's important to realize how destructive it is to leave disagreements and offenses unresolved. And the picture that always comes to my mind, if we don't, we just, we're offended and we sweep it, they, you know, the phrase, sweep it under the carpet. The picture that comes to my mind is that we're offended, we don't, we don't deal with it, we put it under the carpet, and piece by piece, we're assembling an explosive device that's going to blow if we take one step in the wrong location there. That's, that's what we're doing. It's very important to work through our difficulties, our disagreements. They're normal. Disagreements are normal. We have them in this world. But if they're not dealt with in a godly way, we get frustrated with people, we get bitter, and we can hold a, a grudge if we don't work through these in the right way. New Testament is full of encouragement in uh, keeping the unity of the church. And it's to be at the forefront as we're, as we're you know, working through our struggles, as we're trying to accomplish our mission, as we're reaching forward to do that. Uh, unity is to be in our, our mind because it's important to the God we serve. This is because fragmented and divided communities cannot accomplish the mission that God has given us to accomplish together. So this is crucial. Each of us has a role in keeping the community together. The role of any Christian is to work aggressively for the unity of the church. It's not a walk in the park. <laughs> it's not. It's, it's more like a stroll through a battlefield as those offenses are, are piling up. Somebody has to have the courage to just work through them. What's at stake, though, is God's purpose for the church and our own growth as we wade through the difficulty. If we don't communicate, take time to clear up relationships, there are going to be fault lines that will create earthquakes and people will separate over time. So Paul, in the letters he wrote to the churches, training and guiding the leaders of those churches and the churches members themselves, he shows to protect the unity of the church, I must make unity in Christ my goal. Please scratch through the number one in your, I think on your listening guide it says, make unity my number one goal. But as I thought about it, that's my fault. And I don't know how you deal with scratching things out on a piece of paper. <laughs> Hopefully you're okay with that. But I would scratch that out because you can't sacrifice some things for unity. You don't sacrifice the mission for unity. You don't sacrifice the truth 
for unity. So there are some things we don't sacrifice for unity. But at the same time, it's a very high priority to the Lord God we serve. And so we need to, to aim for it. We need to make it our goal. 1 Corinthians 1, 10 through 13. Uh, we read 10, but I'm going to read the others as well now. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and, in, and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. Which, what I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, who is Peter, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was, was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Paul is calling for agreement. We're on the same team. Whenever church members line up on the opposite sides like you would on a football field, in a football game, someone is going the wrong direction. <clears throat> what Paul is saying here is if we divide and, sort, and get into little groups inside the larger group, somebody is in the wrong. We need to exercise our mind to see what's going on from the Lord's perspective. This is what we're challenged to do. It, it's, Paul could have made a major power move in this moment. He could have demanded loyalty to himself and gained more status and power with it, but he knew it wasn't about him. It's about what God wants done. It's about God himself. It's about the Lord Jesus who's leading his church to accomplish his purpose. It's normal to click with some and not with others, but we must choose our ultimate loyalty to Jesus Christ and the mission that he's given us as a church body. So this means we have to Protect the unity of the church by setting aside our own preferences, our own preferences to team together to do his will. Mutual understanding is crucial in this. So we work toward agreement. We work to speak the same thing. This is true in families, work groups, especially here in church, actually in countries, isn't it? So it's important to, to come to an agreement to work together in unity. Paul gives very practical instruction in a letter to the church at Rome on how to love people inside and outside the church and how to work toward unity. Unity is still the theme here. Romans 12, 14 through 19. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Each of these verses here paint a picture of what we can do to protect the unity of the church. First, bless instead of curse. Oh, that's a tough one. That, that's difficult. 
Blessing here is aimed at those who are coming against you. It means to act in kindness instead of wishing them harm. To bless is to say, I hope it goes well with you. That's what it means to bless somebody. May it go well with you. May things go your way uh, in terms of being good for you. Maybe not their way if they're in the wrong, okay? But we bless. This is from the heart of God to us. This is how God treats us. We've rebelled. We've lived independent of Him. We've gone, we've gone a, the other direction from God, and He aims to bless those who will turn to Him and ask them to take the reins of their life. So we have to tap into His power to do this one. Bless and do not curse. To speak well to them, to bless them, and hope well for them. Now, them experiencing the traction to have the best kind of life may involve them turning from their current ways. But we're hoping to help them, whatever we have to do in response to whatever they're doing against us, we're doing it with their best in mind. Choose the emotion that matches up. That's the second thing we can do. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Key way to be unified with others is to meet them where they're at. So often we get together with people and we're so focused on getting our thoughts out and letting others know what's going, know what's going on with us that we completely miss what's going on in their heart and life. So Paul says we need to match our emotions with theirs. Match up with what's going on. The idea is what hurts you hurts me. What thrills you thrills me. And I'm going to rejoice with you over God's blessing in your life even when you get what I want. Even if you have something and you're getting something that I want, I'm going to rejoice with you over that. We match our emotion. We match up with them. You respond by considering what they're going through from their vantage point. Paul goes on. He urges Christians to seek peace. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Big reason conflict exists is arrogance. Native arrogance. The idea of the word haughty is to look down at other people. You look down your nose at the people you're relating to. This is disgusting to God. This this is something that grieves his heart. All people have equal value before the living God. So whenever we look down at anyone else that God has made, he is disgusted with that. Conflict isn't resolved. If we don't let go of the, the attitude of being wise in our own sight, if we don't let go of the need to always be right, the drive to be right will get us off track. It will build walls, not bridges, in our relationships. So verse 18 says, If it's possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. If you've been offended by someone, you can't let it go. Or you've offended someone and it comes to mind. Seek to make peace in that relationship. 
As you approach the person, choose humility. Ask God for help. Ask God to help you see things from their perspective. What happened with that video, the Hatfields and McCoys, everybody saw it from a different perspective. Studies have shown that memories that people have, they experience the same things. Children and families, they experience the same event. But years later, as they work through it, everybody sees it from a different perspective. And they remember important details differently. Some don't even remember some details, what was said. Some remember this detail. Others are like, that didn't happen. You know, so the, the fight continues because memories are, are dependent on how you experience the event. You build a bridge to someone else when you aim for peace and exercise compassion. You try to see it from from their vantage point, from their perspective. To protect the unity of the church, I must refuse revenge. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Unity is preserved when we leave payback in the hand of God. That's, that's his realm. We don't pay back. Now, we're not going to get in a fist fight. We're probably, uh, you know, we're not going to go grab a gun and shoot somebody that we're in a feud with or we're in a, a disagreement with. But we will give them a cold shoulder. It's payback. You know, we just turn. They're, they're there. We don't acknowledge them. We turn away from them, give them a cold shoulder. We gossip about them. We don't go to the person and try to resolve it. We go to someone else and talk about them. We, we're, we're, we're keeping it going. We drag our feet to cooperate. We just, we just don't want to be involved in that. We just pull back. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. The norm in most relationships keeps score. That's one for you, one for me. You hurt me, I hurt you. You hurt me, I'm going to take my ball and go home. Uh, it's normal to keep, store, to keep track of how many times I've offended you, how many times you've offended me. But if we follow Jesus, if you know the Lord Jesus, keeping score is offensive to God because he has even the score for our sake in Jesus Christ. He's taken all the offense on himself and absorbed the wrongs. So I don't know about you, but this, this helps me see what's at stake in our church community. Helps me see what's at stake in our families as we relate. The need to work toward unity, to work toward peace, to set my own preferences aside. To choose humility and not pride and work toward it. What, what we have in the church body is something worth fighting for. And I hope this message has given you some insight into practical ways you can personally protect the unity of this church community. As I wrap up this morning, I'd like you to think through your next step related to church body or, or maybe related to your family or work group. If That's where the source of conflict is right now. Ask yourself, what is one way I can protect the unity of the church today? What is one way out of the things that we've walked through, those steps that you can take? That, 
what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians and then in Romans about protecting the unity of the church. What step can you take? Here's my suggested next step. It's just one today. Take a step to protect the unity of the church by. Then you, you fill that in. Look back over the listening guide at what, what I said about protecting the unity of the church. And then maybe there's something else God's laid on your heart as well. Something you can do to protect the unity of the church body that he's given us. As I said earlier, uh, today we're launching the Christmas offering. And I'd like to begin to ask you to pray about your participation in it. Uh, each year we have a Christmas offering for the last several years we have. And we give to several ministries beyond us. And so this year uh, we're going to give to several ministries beyond us and to our building and expansion fund as well. And uh, we generally, we give, there's a, a little card in your program that shows the different groups that we're giving to and ministries that we're going to be giving to. And uh, he, here are just some of the ministries. Locally, Rebirth Homes uh, is a human trafficking ministry that we're going to give, that we're going to, give to this year, a sure pregnancy center is counseling for women with uh, unplanned pregnancies, and then also our building and expansion fund as well. Uh, regionally, we're giving to the 17.6 network. That's the network of churches that we relate to. And currently, we're, we're translating. We have a, one of our friends works in Bangkok, and he is working to translate one of our training programs into Thai, and so to do that, we have to get it prepared for him to translate it into Thai. I don't talk Thai. I don't know. I, you know, Tim talked Thai. That's my friend, Tim Owens. He talked Thai, but I don't. And so we're getting it ready. That's going to cost a tremendous amount of money. So this year we're going to give to the 17.6 Network specifically to go toward uh, the translation efforts, which are going to be used to, to help... Uh, Thai folks who have been called into the ministry begin to get prepared, and others as well, but begin to get prepared to do ministry in, in Thailand. So that's, that's a really uh, worthwhile effort. And then uh, some of our um, Christmas offerings are going to go to Christian's Challenge Student Ministries, long-standing relationship we have with uh, Christian Challenge at USC and then others around the state. Uh, we want to support what they're doing to help students come to know Christ and grow in Him. Uh, also, we're going to give to Kiko Community Church. Gary and jo Joni Hamilton launched out from here in 1990, and Gary's planted that church. It's been there since then. That's a long time, 26 years. And so they're doing a building project. And so we're going to contribute to their building project. They just got a building a year and a half or so, maybe two years ago. And they're uh, working to get it more and more usable. They're using it now, but they're working on it. Uh, and then globally, we're going to give to Lottie Moon World Missions. This is our denominational uh, missions effort, giving effort at Christmas time. Supports missionaries all over the world. 
through our denomination. And then we're going to give some to Central Asia. We have members in our church who serve in this region of the world. They, they specifically are leading leadership seminars and connecting with people there, trying to help them. They've done various things to try to help in that, that part of the world. Um, and then, as I mentioned before, Connection Europe student ministries. Our goal for this year is $30,000. Uh, last year, our goal was twenty-five, and we reached 32000 So, hey, we need to stretch a little bit. So we're, we're making our goal 30000 And the first $15,000 is going to go to support these other ministries. So we're going to look to their interests first. And then beyond that, it will go to our building and expansion fund, which is also an effort to reach out since we need more, more space, particularly with the kids. doesn't feel like we need more space in here, but we need more space with the kids. So would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the privilege we have really to give beyond ourselves, to serve beyond ourselves, to do something significant under your leadership. Father, I pray that you'd work in all of our hearts to help us to uh, consider and know our participation in this offering. I pray also, Lord, that you would give us the power to take the next step to move toward unity, either here in church life or in our families, at work, in our neighborhoods, God, that you would help us to be people who work toward peace to bring honor and glory to you and to accomplish your purpose in this world. We ask for your help in it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.